Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men, women, everybody, listen, we got a special, I always say this, we got a special show today, but we definitely got one for you. And uh, let me welcome to the show, without no further ado, Jill Jones. Thank you. (laughs) So I know everybody's listening like, so what? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, she is here with me. Also joining me today, Mr. Big Sexy and Saxer. How you doing? Oh man, happy to be home. Ready to roll. Got a beautiful woman. Got my boy on my podcast. Let's roll and do this. Let's do this. And yo, we actually got some royalty from the you know Princeton music family right here and we got to roll a red carpet out as such but let me say this you know it's definitely a, a, a pleasure to have you on i've been watching you the listeners been watching you for a long time listen when purple rain came out i was a young boy but, <laughs> but i know i saw you i was like damn what i was like oh, oh, huh? and oh, actually, i was a big seven year old wow hey <laughs> Actually, I think I was like a baby Huey type. Oh man, I, I think I was I was a freshman in high school, and I was just like, okay, I I see you, Prince. I see you, John. I, I, I understand. But let's get this thing. Um, what we like to do on this show is we like to really dial back and get into the history of like where you came from, and just kind mm-hmm. of go through the journey if we if we can. And so, first of all, uh, Jill, where are you at today? Where, where are you calling us from? What area of the world, the country? I am in Los Angeles. Okay. And now, I don't live here all the time. I split my time between here and Germany. Although this year I've been here a lot because I started a company, and oh. well, the company was started in Germany, but I'm expanding it over here. So I've been named the head. Okay. The head. Girl in charge, and so um, I, I have to kind of be here for a little bit. You might wow. ask, what, what kind of company is it? If you, if you mind telling. Um, it's a um, live streaming and DAW independent recording um, in real time platform. Oh wow! Um, so that's <clears throat> what we're expanding on over here. But it's 4K, 192 channels. Wow! Um, it's pretty powerful. Um, and as I said, it's, it it can be used, utilized for a few different things. It can be utilized for people who want to record in real time without waiting for the uploads. It's even for video editing, um, so that everybody is in the same session while the edit is happening. There's no real delay on that part. And now we've just been expanding into, um, really going into the live streaming and 4k, um, areas. Interesting. What's the name of the company? Mainly a lot of voiceovers. It's called Conics One. Conics One. And um, a lot of uh, our companies that have been using them are based in Europe. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, we have stronger capabilities here for just the average person to operate this type of system and utilize its performance um, because our internet and what people actually have at their disposal here mm-hmm. is so much really greater than even in Europe because ours is a little faster. That's what I've been so, hearing. Yeah. Totally. It is. So you can really accomplish a lot and um, really never leave your home. I, I kind of see that most uh, in the future, most jobs will be home, at home or yeah. remote. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah, it'll be like a remote system. And also yesterday during the hacking, we were not touched or impacted at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so with cyber, cyber freaks out there who have nothing better to do than to, um, that, that, that it's impossible for them to touch us. Impossible. All, all right. I now. hate to say impossible, but I'm confident. Now, my show confident. gets shut down now. They're going to come at me. <laughs> Like Jill was talking, yeah, talking that stuff. was crazy <laughs> was because a- they utilized everybody's personal um, video capabilities and and you inside regular people mm-hmm. uh, to charge the system at Dyne. I mean, it's sort of like they really did attack, and they involved many innocent people and their software and devices in it. So this is kind of kind of crazy when you think on that scale. Is this that you know, denial of service sort of attack thing? Is that what you're talking? About? Exactly. Yeah, okay. So they just utilize the masses and sort of take control with malware over, uh, you know, it could be your grandma's cell phone or your mm-hmm. grandma's uh, laptop because she may not be protected. And then they just take a whole bunch of those and then sort of uh, attack the system. Wow. Okay. I kind of see it as like lupus of the, of, <laughs> of the cyber world. It attacks itself, you know, <laughs> All right, did I miss I something know. yesterday? Uh, was there a, a, a site, a giant hacking Yeah, a lot of sites issue? got taken was... down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It hit wow. um, Spotify and Twitter, Twitter. Mm-hmm. and Amazon. Wow. So, you know, this so is... hopefully, you know, I can, uh, I can, uh, at least we know that anyone recording on, <laughs> on my system, on our system was okay, and their music is just fine. Nice. So you so and it's you, not being hijacked. So you are in the tech game, and you know the music thing. You know it's going to take in this whole thing to the next level. I mean that's that's mm-hmm. what's up. That's good to hear. All right. I so, think that's kind of the way it has to be. Yeah, you got to definitely be able to reinvent yourself, learn different things, and kind of go with the flow. And sound like you on the next. You're on that next shit, as we say. You know, you're on the next level. Well, I'd spent years in advertising, and um, I had been in a new business. Mm-hmm. And um, then I, I had uh, had some dealings in pharmaceuticals, then okay. um, in advertising and marketing, and then got out of that, thank God, um, and uh, moved into procurement and just business business uh, services. And then uh, my last kind of stint with it was with finance and banking. And that was enough to make me just go, uh, no, Um, this is not where I want to be. However, it did uh, increase my, um, expand my knowledge on Mm -hmm. our banking industry and also just security measures that are sort of in tech and required and, um, 
you know, coming back to America, the one thing that I have seen is that most people do not conduct their businesses properly. There's hmm. so many security holes and gaps. You would be surprised even when it comes down to their copier services, the way they utilize it and the way, you know, people here seem to want to be a little stingy with what they're doing. And I don't think people can be stingy anymore because you ultimately pay the price. Stingy pays twice. Hmm. The way I look at it. <laughs> Words of wisdom. <laughs> So uh, I want to ask you this. So, I mean, in your business dealings, you know, sort of the things that you're doing now, you ever come across people and they they like recognize you from, I mean, you was like an iconic movie and, and different things. Do they ever say, oh, that, are, are you such and such? Do you ever come across that? I mean, I think when I was younger and, and sort of transitioning out of the music world a little bit. Mm -hmm. I had, you know, started, I had had a divorce. I had just lost a deal with London records and mainly I lost that deal. It was after I left, um, Paisley. Um, my mother had gotten terminally ill. So I kind of mm -hmm. just became a wreck and, um, I lost everything like in a three boom, boom, boom. You know, my marriage went down the tubes, mm -hmm. lost my deal. And, um, I lost something else within it, but you know what? I, obviously, since I can't remember it, it's probably not that important. Um, so, but I know it was really hard for me at the time. So I just did anything I could. I went bartended. Oh, I got audited like hard from the IRS. Really? And that's like enough to make you want to jump out of a window. Wow. So, um, so I just uh, went ahead. I was bartending, and actually, <laughs> all the th people who came in. Uh, the Wu-Tang Clan, uh, I remember. And I think it was, was it, Rizzo? one of them was like, you're Jill Jones. <laughs> and I said, no. Because <laughs> I was really embarrassed, like, oh my God, how could anybody know my pride? I had a right, really right. hard time adjusting to, wow, wow, this is what I have to do. But it was New York, so New York is a little bit forgiving. Mm. Because people do all sorts of jobs in New York. Right, right. I mean, you'd be surprised just to make your ends meet and you have to you gotta but, have them hustles, so it was a little forgiving huh i said you gotta have a hustle a different hustles out there for sure totally i mean i bartended in strip clubs i really went the whole gamut and um you know that going down that road was a little bit tricky because i i suddenly realized well i must be trying to find myself after this because i was a mother a single mom okay and you know it was like it was two choices like what am i going to do i didn't have any real um skills you know i've been singing and that just wasn't enough money for me in new york so i went back to school I started focusing on those things and just hustling. And then I got into advertising. Um, but really, it was just a matter of like, okay, I have a kid mm -hmm. and I've got to figure out. And I dabbled in singing and I would release things. But it, it just wasn't going to be what it was because I feel that when I left Prince anyway, when we our union were dissolved, I think the industry was changing really dramatically at that time. And um, there was a big reveal happening about the corruption within it. Mm -hmm. uh, mind you, I should have known. I, you know, uh, audits and things are so important for artists to understand royalty splits, divisions, mechanicals. And usually when you're so young, you really just don't get it. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you don't. They can sit and tell you, and you're like, I don't even know what they're saying. <laughs> that, it's really just like that. So, um, But, yeah, and then I just went on, and then eventually now have moved into the tech world because it just seemed I'm really interested in it. Okay. Well, let's, if you don't mind, let's, let's go back. I want to kind of go back mm-hmm. to, you know, when you early childhood, teenager. Now, I, I've been reading, I've read up on you before, but, you know, you've been around some very uh, legendary, iconic people in music, uh, black music. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, your father, uh, he, he's a, a brother or stepbrother to Barry Gordy. Is that correct? My stepfather was um, okay. uh, Barry's older brother. Wow. So were you like around? Fuller Gordy, yeah. Were, were you around sort of Motown and, and that whole scene? Oh, completely. I mean, I grew up in Ohio with my grandparents um, up until the age of about 11. Okay. And my mom met Fuller somewhere when I was about seven or eight. And so, you know, they would, they kept wanting me to go to, this was when everyone was in Detroit because it was the sixties and I wasn't really ready. I I was, had gotten very attached to my country upbringing and cousins close by and everybody and my grandparents. So I didn't really want to leave. I liked that life. I liked the Mm. records they sent me from Motown. It was pretty amazing. (laughs) Um, But ultimately I did move when I was like 11 or 12, and I moved to when they had uh, moved to Los Angeles by that time. Okay. And um, the Gordy family just became an extension, you know, very different from my family, African-American family in Ohio, who, you know, worked really hard, very simple people. Um, So coming out here was a bit of a transition. For me, I was suddenly thrown into, like, Beverly Hills schools. Oh. Um, and so that was a little bit of a, a tricky thing, just to just to see some of the things that people have as children and right. their attitudes and all of that. How, how does that... And, I, um, I, got, I was asking you a question about that. So coming from Ohio and you going into this Beverly Hills high school, and I want to keep it, you know, keep it up front as well. Mm-hmm. You know, going in there, and you said as an African American, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, back in this, back in listen, back in the days, would have said, "Oh, this she's light skin." And I'll keep it real; like mm-hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. You know, when I first saw you in nineteen ninety nine video, I was like, "Oh, Prince got a cold ass white girl." And like I didn't know. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just saying that's how, yeah. how how it came across. But to hear, you know, and I know you identify and you are African American. Was there any sort of like uh, racial sort of things coming into that school. Uh, did they see you um, as black or was that even an issue? Well, you know, they probably, yes, I think they knew I was black because hair care was really different back then. <laughs> okay. And um, <laughs> I had gotten it cut really short. I used to have really long hair and I got it cut short. So, you know, when girls cut their hair, it's really like, and I had gotten it cut um because somebody, some white people had taken me to a beauty salon and it was all white and they oh, didn't know Lord, what to do with my hair. So they cut it all off. <laughs> so that was in Ohio. And so what was really weird was um, coming here was kind of a big transition because I grew up with all of those people in Ohio and, you know, I was getting ready to go to the middle school in the sense of um, having, I, you know, was 
here, I was really surprised about all the Jewish holidays. That kind of freaked me out. I was like, what is this? You know, we had Mr. Kaufman in, in Lebanon, Ohio, who just Mr. Kaufman. And I don't think anybody was celebrating taking off for any Jewish holidays. But I was like thrilled. I was like, we got a day off. Oh, wow. Or you don't get to go home early. Okay. That was amazing. Um I kind of gravitated between all the different pockets of groups. It's like any high school. Mm-hmm. You had the surfer crowd, the beach crowd. You had the Asian kids kind of hung together. The right. black kids hung together. It's weird. It's like you kind of flock to where you're comfortable. The theater group, they're always the ones. Then I ultimately ended up there. And Lenny Kravitz went to the same school. He oh, was wow. a little younger, um, Huh. And okay. so ultimately we all ended up in the theater group and he was in band. Interesting. So it was a great thing to see um, an experience. Then you had the Persian kids who all came because Iran had toppled and the revolution was going on. So it was kind of a real diverse place at okay. the time. All right. When uh, did you start at any point at this time where you kind of like had an inkling that you wanted to sing or were you singing already a little bit around the house? Well, when I had, I used to sing more when I was younger, um, in Ohio, but I had wanted to be an attorney, um, because that's kind of what I grew up around and what I knew. But then coming out here, I think the Gordy household, the Gordy family is a very close knit family and they do a lot of things together I think that people could learn a lot if they just knew mm-hmm. the importance, really, true importance of family. Ultimately, it really reveals the character of everybody in it and the support structure. And I think that that was kind of amazing for me to see all of these people who sort of shared in, in their success, mm-hmm. inclusive um, it was competitive, but in a healthy way. So it kind of changed up my game a little bit. I was like, what am I doing? You know, there'd be family get togethers and someone would play the piano and sing of the children of the young people. So they really, the older people nurtured mm. your spirit and your goals. It okay. was really, you know, beyond anything I'd ever seen in a group family setting. Um, and then you'd have Stevie Wonder come in and play. Wow. So then the kids who just played would be like, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> I got up my game if I want to, like, play in this ball court. And everything was competitive on a great level. Like, we used to have big family backgammon tournaments. <laughs> and I mean big, where the kitty was huge because everybody had put in. And every kid that went in to play, you were determined I'm going to win. I'm going to get third place or first place, second or third. It was like, you just wanted something. Tennis was the same way. Okay. And so it's, it's something where, and my stepfather was a professional bowler before he Hmm. um, started his printing company. And he loaned his, he sold his company and gave his money to Barry to start Motown. Oh, wow. He sold his machines and he gave money to his brother. So, it's really interesting that, and they were just, you know, it, it really is a pretty spectacular family. I mean, sure, families have their things and their right, issues, right. but this was this was something else. I, I just really, it's something that I think every family, mm. white, black, brown, everybody should 
take into nurturing their next generations. It, it sounded like there was definitely a, a spirit of excellence uh, yes. in there. You know what I mean? So, wow. Like, um, so at one point, so at a certain point, Tina Marie comes in, into this picture. When do you first mm-hmm. meet her? I met Tina when um, my stepsister, Iris Gordy, had another artist called Tata Vega. And oh, man. Tata, Heard that in a while. Yeah. yeah, and I Tata was so amazing. So Tata was kind of like the one everybody was kind of focusing on at the label. And then my mom ran into Tina and um, at, because Tina came in with a group. She'd been signed with like a band. Okay. And they were going to drop them. And um, sort of her friendship with my mom is kind of what saved her from getting the cut Um, because Tina just started getting invited to our family affairs. And that kind of put her directly in front of Barry. Like there was, so at those get togethers, it'd be like pick up a guitar and she'd start singing and he started to really see another side of her. I remember one, one night, he spent really an incredible amount of time. All of them spent an amazing amount of time with her and she sang about eight or nine songs. (laughs) And then from there jumped into, okay, we'll have her like work with, um, was it Bobby McNair or, or yeah, or Bobby. Maybe it wasn't Bobby McNair. I do like Bobby McNair by the way, but um, (laughs) might've been. And then she went in and did demos and they gave her access and she just started to have more access because she actually, got access to the top of the uh, label. Okay. And then my mom started managing her. Wow. And she lived with us. Oh, wow. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so this, you know, relationships, were you guys kind of like, as what, like kind of almost like sisters or was she? We were like sisters. I mean, at first it was a little adversarial at one point because I was like, oh my God, she's taking up all my mom's time. <laughs> However, my mom was always in the in the business and traveled so much. So there was a, I was kind of self-sufficient on my own too, but okay. Tina did become like a sister. She'd take me to school, um, drive me in her periwinkle blue Vega. <laughs> yeah. Old school cars. <laughs> I learned how to drive in that car. Periwinkle mm-hmm. blue Vega. Oh man. Periwinkle blue. <laughs> she loved that car. And, uh, so yeah, it was, it was just great. I mean, I'd gotten into an argument with somebody at school. Tina showed up and told the girl to back <laughs> off. It was really funny. I mean, nowadays they would have thrown her in jail, but Hilarious. yeah. Hilarious. And so she exposed me to a lot. Okay. Tina would therefore open up my life to taking me out to like hanging out in Venice beach, mm. California and Rose. Uh, those avenues, you know, it was like really a little bit rougher, but um, I made some wonderful friends and I just got a different slice of life uh, totally around that time. And she took me to the first ever and only ever Led Zeppelin concert that I'd ever gone to with John Bonham drumming. Nice. Okay. Yeah. It was the one at the forum. Damn. All right. So at, yeah. at a certain point in time, you know, she really starts to blow up and come into her thing and, and, and putting stuff out. How do you become like, you know, a background singer for, for Jill Jones? Was it just sort of a natural sort of progression? Like you're around 
It's like, hey, Jill. Yeah, I was around, and she would say, "Hey, can you come and sing this part for me?" And you're, and then one day she's like, "You really, you know, need to get your own style. You're never going to be Barbara Streisand because I love Barbara. Streisand. I don't know what it was. Oh, okay. I just loved her movies, and I would always just be like, I want to be that kind of. A, I want to do musical theater, mm. and um, it's a totally different type of singing, but. Tina utilized me and said, hey, can you come and help me write this or whatever? So I was writing plays on a piano at my house. She helped me. Um, yeah, I just kind of moved into it. I was convinced I was going to go to, you know, New York and study drama. But once I started working with her and then, of course, subsequently worked with Prince, it didn't mm. really happen that way. And, you know, I felt like, okay, I'm getting even more intense experience um, now than being in school. But, um, yeah, she started, she started, you know, really getting some advancement at Motown. And then, of course, my stepsister, Iris Gordy, had a connection with Rick, Rick James. Okay. And so because it was all family and family gatherings, Rick would come over, then they met Tina, and that's how it kind of happened. And, um, you know, Rick, you know, was at many a barbecue at our house. And um, so, yeah, it was, and some of his friends from Canada. So, yeah, it was a very interesting time. And, you know, what's interesting, too, is that when you're also young, you don't want to do anything your parents or your family members are doing. Okay. For me, even though it was the Gordies, I was like, I'm going to be different. I'm not going to ask Barry for anything. I'm not going to ask uh, anybody for anything. I'm going to do it myself. Right, right. And I've learned now in life sometimes, well, all times, you do need to ask. Um, because hmm. a part of that is the ego and pride. That is something that you got to always keep in check because people who love you will not ever try to steer you wrong. And sometimes mm -hmm. by not asking people to help you, you end up hurting yourself more. See, you take the long path around right, to arrive right. back at the decision you should have always had. You know, that, that's, that sounds like uh, a parent. That sounds like a person who, who lived it. And now they're like, okay, mm -hmm. I, I got kids now. And now I understand what my parents are trying to tell me. And, you know, cause I, oh, totally. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's true. So now how old were you when you go on the road with Tina, you know, and, and get, getting into a, a tours because, times. okay. About what age 16 were you? we started. Wow. 16 on the road with 16. Tina Marie. Yeah. Was Rick, James, were you guys out with Rick James too? Um, the first couple ones, no. Um, and then at one point, we're out on Sean Cassidy's tours. Well, that was Sean safe as like. Okay, hold you on. Know, that was hold like, on. Sean Cassidy? <laughs> yes. Did that do run, run Sean Cassidy? Yes. Sean oh, Cassidy. Lord. <laughs> yes. So that was like really interesting. So I was safe as anything. If anything, I could, all the fans he had, I could have been like, you guys want to go shopping? Hilarious. You know, it was like, no problem. We showed up in these outfits with butterfly wings, and borderline earth, wind, and fire get-ups with, like, spandex. I don't even want to tell you what the audience, the parents in there look like at us. Like, what the hell? Yeah. And, and, and Alan and our, the, our musicians that were, like, dressed with hats on and they're pimp game strong. It was yeah. just, yeah. Basically, that tour for the guys was like 
playing checkers, cards. Nothing really going to be happening. No, nothing. Nothing. When does it? One of the. When does it start yeah. to shift where you get off of the Sean Cassidy and get into more, uh, I guess, an R and B or you know what I'm saying? What uh, was that? Yeah, starting I think it was with the around Prince? 79 and 80. Okay. We got, uh, of course, Rick to open for Rick because Tina had, you know, her relationship with him and mm-hmm. the song or something, her song Sucker for Love. Yeah. So we went out on that Rick James tour, and it's ironic because Prince had been on the earlier part of the tour and we came in on the second half. Oh, okay. And um, Rick's show, I mean, why everybody was jumping the show was because the, for some really weird moment, he just wasn't selling like he what you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. it was dwindling so the margins were a little bit off for us and so we left and then we got thrown on um prince's tour he had gone on to headline his dirty mind tour and then we opened Mm -hmm. i think we all must have been sharing the same agent nick masters i think who was at william morris but so you know they were just pivoting and moving everybody around a little bit and it was good. I mean, it worked out well for me. <laughs> right. so, yeah. what, 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 I'm always curious, and uh, you know, I was trying to ask this of Andre Simone uh, a while ago when he was on. But what, from not being in Prince's situation or anything, not knowing him necessarily, what did you guys think of him early on? Like, was did he seem like? And I'm grasping here. What was he more sort of like an outsider? T- to everybody or was he weird or was it like who was this cat or how, how did I, 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 like I'm sorry in terms of like Rick James or something you sort of oh he was much cooler than Rick James but I didn't know if it was because I knew Rick eating ribs at my house or, or <laughs> eating chicken from the barbecue grill gotcha. so it's like really hard I mean also you have to remember Rick um, when I was about 15 or 16 myself I used to bring my friends up from high school mm-hmm. And drive up to his house at 10 in the morning during our nutrition break. We had a break, like a half an hour break. And I would just bring giddy girls up and wake up the band and, hi, guys. Do you have anything to eat? And then Jackie, the background singer, was like, oh, okay. Because she was a mom anyway. She was like, oh, okay, I'll make you guys something. Okay. So he was and like family too. soon I was doing it. Huh? So he was more like family, almost uncle or something. He was until he ratted me out and told my mom, uh, Jill's ditching school because she keeps showing up here with all her girlfriends from high school. Come on, Rick. (laughs) Snitching. He did. And he also said, and I don't know how she's driving because she's only 15. And, you know, so it was really like, I was like, thanks. Thanks. (laughs) So wait a minute. So So Rick James, Mr. Super Freak, he knows. He was like, this little fast girl need to be at school. So you're trying totally. to tell me? He was definitely <laughs> pushing school on me. Yeah. And it's so funny because when I tu- he knew my age because when I turned 16, he gave me a sweet 16 necklace. <laughs> and to the point where over the years, if I'd see him, he'd go, where's my sweet 16 necklace? I said, Rick, I'm not 16 anymore. You know, and it was really funny. He was definitely like family, for sure. I knew his mother and... You know, his brothers and sisters. Yeah, Rick was like family. Okay, wow. So going on Prince's tour, he was like a disruptor. He was like every bad boy you could think of, except he was really sweet, you know? 
he seemed it. And I also liked that he made people uncomfortable, but he made me very uncomfortable to the point where I was like, I don't know. I don't really like him. And my mom was like, what are you talking about? He's going to be a huge star one day. I'm like, I, I don't know. But I think it was just my youth and not understanding like who the heck just walked in this place, <laughs> you know, and also playing it really close to the vest. Mm. I did. Mm -hmm. So like, I mean, which made why I was always sarcastic with him and distant and, you know, like, I don't know, whatever. You're from where? He'd say Minneapolis. I was like, where is that? And then he would say, <laughs> you don't know geography? It didn't, aren't you in school? I was like, well, they don't even really talk about that place. Hilarious. You know, it's not that important. That's how our first kind of conversations went. And they were just kind of cute, and very child, childish in a way. Very funny. <laughs> and so did, <laughs> did, you, uh, so did you guys stay for the majority of the Dirty Mind tour? Yeah, for the last part of it, and then we, um, I remember that tour because um, it was in December, part of December, I remember that I think um, John Lennon died around that time. So yeah, mm. it, we, we stuck through it, and I didn't think a ton of dates, but enough dates, and uh, yeah, it was wild because I kind of knew that something was going to that I'd met somebody that was kind of going to change my life, but I didn't really know how. I just kind of knew. It's a really weird feeling. Um, also, I had gone once to a psychic fair, and I don't often believe in this stuff, but some woman just ran up to me in the middle of this thing. I went with my girlfriends, and she goes, you're going to meet a guy with a black car, and he's going to change your life. And I was like, a black car? I said, in a good way, or she was good. So it was really weird. And then when he, when I later, he showed up and he had the black car, I knew, I <laughs> uh, went, oh, it's him. Wow. <laughs> mm -hmm. When, uh, so the first time, again, I was a young guy. So the first time I first saw you and noticed it was in the 1999 video. But obviously before that, so after you guys had worked together, apparently, coming off the Dirty Mind tour, when did you like sort of link up with him where it's like, yo, Start doing After that, I've well, Andre and I became close friends. Oh, okay. Andre kind of was like a big. I was like the little sister to everybody on the tour. Okay. Um, because I was the youngest, and um, Andre was really, really sweet. And he had come up to me at one point. There was a party or something. He's like, "How old are you?" And I was like, "Well, I'm 17. I'll be 18." Or I was 18, I think. But I always was very naive somewhere. And he said, um, Prince told me you were married. I'm like, I'm not married. I'm not married. And I remember thinking that was the craziest thing I'd ever heard. I was like, married? I am not married. So <laughs> he was trying to throw salt Andre in his game. Like, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and Andre was like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he just sort of, you know how Andre has that cracked half smile. And um, he also knew by my reaction that I wasn't very hip to the game. I was like, oh my God, why would he say something like that? <laughs> right? And he's like, okay, all right. So then Andre and I became close friends and we stayed in touch. And um, so much to where I became friends with his girlfriend here in Los Angeles. She and I, he, entered, he goes, I'm going to introduce you to somebody who will be very helpful. Hmm. So it kind of got my little independence out a little bit. 
you know, a little more streetwise again. Okay. And, um, you know, country girl, Beverly Hills girl, too. Uh, now I kind of was like, okay, now I'm going to learn a few things. But we stayed friends through the years. And um, I would hear, you know, Prince was dating Phyllis Bond or whoever. And I'd go, oh, okay. You know, and I'd be mm. And I, you know, later, and then I'd see Prince once here uh, or twice when they came into town and I'd drive them around in my car. Hmm. And um, I remember one time Ola Ray was with him because I slammed the car door accidentally on her leg. Ow! Um, Ola Ray from Thriller? I didn't know she was getting out on that side. Wow. Yeah, and Prince laughed. He thought it was the funniest thing ever. I was just like, oh my God. So he was like this big kid and... um, but he definitely was appealing more to me than her that evening because it just, I don't know. My reaction was just like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Is your leg okay? <laughs> and she was looking at me like, are you for real? Like, you know, like, <laughs> are you for real with that little kid act? Are you right? <laughs> I see what she was doing there, Jim. I got an uncle who's a doctor. You know, that oh, guy's like, mm-hmm. She's like, mm. <laughs> 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 So, so I remember it well. Man. And um, yeah, so over the years I was in, and then Andre was trying at some point to do his own thing because he had mm-hmm. left. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was just kind of nice. Uh, it was a good time. It was a good time. How does, uh, so does he, uh, I guess a couple years later when uh, he's working on 1999, is that some of the first stuff that you guys, are you saying on some of his stuff? Or? Yeah, when. Um, he came to L.A. because he was in um, Ohio and we spoke on the phone. He was with Vanity, I think, at the end of the time tour. Ah. And that tour they had because he told me they had just had a crazy food fight. Oh, and okay. I was like, really? And everybody knows about that food fight now. It was right. like bad blood for a minute. Um, and he said, well, I'll call you when I get there. And I always knew that the name he used was Groucho Marx anyway. <laughs> so... It was easy to call him, and he would call you back. So, Or he would call at your house to the point where my stepfather was like, I don't care if you're 18, but nobody... I heard him on the phone, like, oh, I'm sorry, she can't come to the phone. It's, you know, after 1 o'clock, and then I was like, Fuller, you can't do that. And he was like, yes, I can. He goes, I'm not going to walk all the way down the hall because I can hear the phone ringing. You remember you didn't have cell phones Right, then. right. So I went and got my own phone in my room so I could get the phone calls. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's old school stuff. I'll be calling my house after no one. Uh, yes. Right. Ringing no, phone. she can't. I'm sorry. Who is this again? <laughs> Prince. And I'm like, Fuller. And then I'm like, Mom. <laughs> Why did Fuller do that? She goes, Jill, it's like two, it was two in the morning. She's like, who does that? <laughs> Apparently Prince does. <laughs> like Jill. you said you liked him. Yeah. Jill, before we go further into to this period, um, I want to go back to the Dirty Mind tour. When you were on the Rick tour, was that the Garden of Love tour? Or was that uh, Fire mm. It Up? I and don't know. I'd have to look it up. Because I'm thinking, since you said sales were, weren't what they were, I would hazard a guess that it was Garden of Love, because that was Rick's attempt at, quote-unquote, new wave back then. And he changed his style up a little bit, had the skinny tie happening. And on the other end of the spectrum, you got Prince, 
with the Dirty Mind vibe and the, the bikini draws happening, and you on both of those acts, what was the vibe like between the two? Between the two shows? Yeah. Prince's show was electric. People just went crazy. Um, Rick's thing was, yeah, I mean, now that you mention it, it was like they hadn't ever seen him before, and these were supposed to be his fans. Wow. Um, I think we played something, I can't, Cal Palace? San Francisco. Yeah. And I remembered it wasn't really all that full. Hmm. Wow. So it might have been that. And I mean, to be honest, I I actually would stay and watch Prince's shows. Um, Not every night, because, uh, yeah, that just, not every night, but... I mean, I wasn't at that naive. Sometimes you have to be missed to, to not be showing up every night. You know, like, oh, it was so great. Um, I was a little bit, but, you know, I was trying to hide that I was, you know, maybe had a crush on him. But, you know, I had to, that's just the way it was. But, yeah, I think you're right about those shows because it was really weird because he really should have had more people. Rick should have. I don't know. It must have been that. The show, I don't think he had a very easy one that time. Hmm. Uh, so g- go- going to, uh, I'm, I keep mentioning it, but the 1999 video and Little Red Corvette, at this point, uh, you're sort of brought into the band or at least, you know, you're very visible uh, at, at this point. What, what was the coming into working with him at that level in terms of, you know, how did you, did you meet the other people? Obviously you met everybody in the band. Like how, how I, was I didn't t- know. I didn't. I mean, oh. for the time we worked on 1999, there was no band. It was him. So okay. I didn't meet anybody until I went back to start rehearsals for that tour, um, which was in the summer. So we saw each other um, in the, early part of that year, like February, mm-hmm. January fe- or February, when he finished Cincinnati, that last show. And um, there was no band in the studio. I mean, it was just us, really. Right. I mean, he had started working with Vanity Six, I think. He was finishing up some stuff on them. Mm-hmm. And um, doing, you know, finishing some stuff with the time, flying the masters or the the tapes from Minneapolis to Sunset Sound. And then they would fly out periodically. But, yeah, no. From when we started working, I think it was we were working on dance music. Not dance music, sexual romance. Um Let's pretend we're married. Okay. Like that was kind of one of the, and Delirious was already kind of done. But I think that whole period was a very different moment for him. I don't think he wanted to be in Minneapolis because I think, I don't know, he was spending a lot of time in Los Angeles, to be honest with you. Because he was living in Studio City. Okay. How, what was it like in this early studio stuff with him? I mean, would he have most of the music done? And you just come and lay your parts down, or did you actually get to see him, like sort of play some of the stuff? I see him do it because I spent like almost twenty four seven with him. Oh wow! 
did you know this listening to some of the stuff did you like know that oh like this shit is kind of good like it's like i ain't never heard was it just something special or just like oh this is just prince doing his thing like i'm just curious how you took it as the in first the night he picked me up nasty girl was done just wow. uh like most of the track and i was like this is like crazy this is amazing um and it was just every single day he had a work ethic that was crazy. I mean, um, it wasn't just fun and, and games, like just like playing around or dates. Mm. I mean, the dates were at like three in the morning going to, there was some little odd restaurants and stuff here. And then, you know, drop you off home or whatever at the beginning. Um, but then little weird stuff. It always was kind of like a, um, I say kind of like a very foreign movie concept because, yeah, he was definitely, you know, had a whole different way of operating. And also he was kind of a night owl. So also when you're finished, you want to play your music and then going into the studio for days and days mm. and then coming home. Wow. What uh, what was the reception uh, when those videos came out uh 1999 and, and such and you were in there? How, what do, how did your family, what did your family think, uh, you know? Well, in the middle of that, having my hair dyed and changed, that was kind of like a big thing. Um, I think that, you know, there was a little bit of talk with my mom and her, you know, Anna Gordy and Gwen Fuqua, and a few of them had their say, the women, mm -hmm. um, because they, they were older women and they were concerned, I think, about certain things. Um, but they understood the process of the whole change in the image. They knew what was happening. The whole thing is they wanted to make sure, does she know? Mm. You know, it was like, mm. um, because in the part of when somebody is you, Svengaliing you mm. or you're their, their, you're their muse for a period of time, they sort of take over your whole life and your whole world, everything in it. And they sort of extract what, you know, 1999 is really essentially, I know the period of time and I know why that period of time existed. Mm -hmm. um, he had gone through a breakup with Susan and it was really kind of a weird transition. He had everybody, vanity, it was just a lot going on. And then I think I was some kind of um, refuge hmm. um, in the middle of whatever the, all that other stuff was. So the album is about escapism. Uh, most of it is just escapism. And I feel very um, responsible for being that outlet. Like I feel like, and that album was a big transition, even just on the side, not personally, but I also think for his career, because it opened up the door for him to mm -hmm. even gain the key word access to doing Purple Rain. Right. And he knew that because he knew that he he wanted to make that movie all along. Wow. Yeah, he and I were like best friends, if anything. Wow, wow. So, as you say, 1999 opens the door for, you know, bigger, bigger things and ideas and dreams. When is the first time you heard him mention, yo, I want to do this movie, I want to do a movie? He had talked about it early at that time because he had thought, he had the dawn was one concept he had okay and that didn't really materialize and then somewhere along the way 
he reshaped it with these different, you know, the different dynamic, because I think that the dynamic played out a little bit in real life with all the characters in a loosely based form. So when they brought in the script writer and the screen, everybody, he all he had to do was look at the dynamics of everybody in the room Mm -hmm. and he could get the characters. He could see that Wendy and Lisa were, you know, like the Chinese mothers in the corner. And, um, (laughs) you know, you know, like the tiger bombs, um, mm. and yet nurturing, but somewhere like you can come on, we, we got to keep pushing. And then you had me who really loved him to death. And it's like, it didn't matter. I mean, I was like, yeah, I'll do this. We're going to do okay. Um, and then you had vanity who adored him and loved him beyond the, the, and also then the tension with Morris and him, but you know, it's so interesting because everything he created was an extension and a projection of everything inside of him. So Mm. when someone's giving you their songs, you have to go, this is really them. Or are they trying to project it from as if they're me? Mm -hmm. So sometimes I think how Prince saw vanity or Denise, the way he projected it were of two minds. One was the business mind and one was his heart mind. And I think she was conflicted maybe because she really was a gentle spirit and a really good woman, but nobody had ever really given her the opportunity or chance to be because they all became so overpowered by her beauty. Um, And that's the plight of really beautiful women. They actually are discriminated against, I feel. And after being around her, I can see that people totally discriminate, but pretty people can't complain. You know, beautiful women aren't allowed to complain, hmm. but they definitely get their fair share of bullshit. Yeah, I've, I've, I've never met her. I never had a chance to meet her. I've only seen pictures, but I can imagine she looks far more beautiful than those pictures could ever sort of convey, even though she, she was beautiful. Like yeah. she, and she had a great spirit too. Like I remember her showing me because she used to model, she'd go, okay, let me show you things, makeup tips. We sat in the house doing makeup. She was generous, you know, with other women's beauty, helping them to see it. But nobody would say it to her. You know, she's, that's what pretty girls, beautiful women go through when you're with your friends and you're all getting ready. And another friend of mine who's extremely beautiful was like, you know, my friends would be sitting somewhere and say, all right, well, are we ready to go? And do I look good? Do I look good? And then she'd say, nobody ever looked at She'd go, well, do I look good? And they go, oh, you always look good, bitch, or something. <laughs> and, you know, as if she should never be concerned. And that's just some stuff that women need to kind of get together. There, there's mm-hmm. just some issues that we are still very far off on um, in our jealousy and our um, we, we still need to support and compliment and right. really, because everybody, you never know what people are feeling inside. So you access, you mentioned this and I kind of want to ask this, like you mentioned vanity, Denise, yourself, uh, Wendy and Lisa. <clears throat> I don't know if mm-hmm. Susanna was, had been introduced at this time. Uh, she was, she was, she was okay. on the radar. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Susan, uh, 
from the from the group, and also another uh, a lady. Uh, I'm seeing her picture in purple. Rain. So freaking beautiful. Uh, is it Kim Upshur? Is that if I'm saying her name right? Mm-hmm. Um, how does that? You know, you're a woman, and you mentioned sort of there needs to be more solidarity in these different things. How does this? How do you navigate these? You know, there's a there's a whole thing there that he has some sort of relationships with these people. Was there jealousy or any sort of, you know, game plan? Oh, yeah. There was jealousy. And I think that, you know, for him, I don't know how he did it as much. as And then then if we were all sitting together on the bus, then we knew, like, well, who the hell is coming now? (laughs) Wow. You know, well, if he's not with you or you or me, well, who else is there? So, um, you know, it's... uh, it was it was definitely some kind of jealousy and a little bit of, you know, not understanding, like, well, why can't you just be with one person? But when you think of it now, it's like everybody was so extremely so young. Mm. And, you know, the girls on the road, there was really a very strong, uh, see, that's another thing, road girls and <laughs> girlfriends are very right. different. Right. I learned that. And, you know that's a whole different world and you know we see that i don't know i think the solidarity came years later okay as we sort of left it you know vanity and i kind of got it together a little bit at one point Mm. and um but yeah i mean i've never doubted for a minute her affection and her love for him ever okay when you, you mentioned it. But so, she also loved her career, and Prince would be the type to be like, he wanted, he almost, I think, sometimes put you in a position to see if, do you want this or do you want us? Right. And okay. that was the tricky thing because, you know, if you told him you wanted us, he it would freak him out. Freak him out. Hmm. So you get the, you know, career. But then if you wanted the career, which Vanity wanted her career, but why couldn't she have it all was kind of the big question. Why couldn't any woman have it all? I that was, was his issue. Yeah. I, I would say this, you know, as an outsider looking in, I mean, her stepping away from this opportunity and the situation to do the movie to do her own thing. That's a super like brave sort of move. I mean, it's like, okay, you can be in this thing here. But to walk away from that, <clears throat> I mean, like I said, from the outside, I was like, whoa, Vanity's not going to be on that movie, you know. Uh, and then, of course, you bring in Apollonia, but I cannot. But I told him that she wasn't going to be in it because Barry had called and told me. He spoke to me and ah. he was willing to talk to Prince about it because wow. as a gentleman, um, because it was in no way to, you know, he respected him on that level as mm-hmm. another African-American entrepreneur spirit okay. and all of that. But he also had some words for him, which is like pacing himself. Barry was like, he just doesn't pace himself. Mm. And, you know, I don't know if Prince ever returned the call, but I knew that she had been out there with my family and I, I just knew. And um, how do you sp- that was what was going to happen. How do you, did you introduce her to some of your people or did she somehow get introduced to them other way? No, she somehow got introduced to them. Okay. Yeah, no, I had nothing to do with that. I was rarely going home for holidays. Wow. "Mm, I'm staying out of this one. (laughs) 
Interesting. So you guys are getting ready on this movie, and, and I've read uh, one of the scripts before and heard different stories. And you can look at the movie and tell. But obviously, your character in the movie, there's more going on than what we actually saw at the, you know, that came out, correct? Like True. Mm-hmm. Was there more of a yeah, relationship more between of a, you? Yes, it was, the plot was more, um, you know, the good, sweet girl was getting pushed more into, this is what he should really want. But ultimately, that's not how the story played out, because it was really good versus, you know, good versus bad. And I think the Vanity character was a little bit more of a hustler, hustler than Apollonia could have ever been because um, there's a certain level of certain women would really gravitate to Vanity's character and certain women and men would gravitate to me. Um, But then with the mother scene, they cut part of that story out, which became a psychological thing. Hmm. And it was a little weird for some people, you know, in some of the testing things. Like, oh, man, what is happening with his mom? Is there incest? It got really, like, really people. Really? It, it was really more a testament of what people, uh, where their brains took them. It was oh, just wow. this strong bond between the son and the mother. And it was very Oedipus, you know, but they cut that out. Huh. But it wasn't like he was in love with his mother, but in a way, it was like you could see that the mother really... You know, when they tell moms, don't tell your kids stuff, like when you're upset with your ex, like don't tell your problems to your children. Mm -hmm. You could see that that's what that relationship in that film was, that she demonized and then, you know, just sort of talked about the father or, you know, and from the father's actions, you could see how the child came up with his conclusions. Wow. That's interesting. Very interesting. Interesting. Um. (laughs) In terms of, uh, you know, just asking, were there other musical scenes in the movie that we didn't see? Yeah, I think, I mean, no, my my music scene was cut. I played the piano, and it was his song Wednesday, which okay. is a sweet song um, about suicide. Like, mm. my character was so into this guy that she would have killed herself. And, you know, it's so interesting because, like I said, his projections of how he would see you... Uh, were really intense because I think about it now and go, wow, he really, really, you know, that is that the dynamic or the energy we created? Because your energy is what comes from it. It's somewhere based within the two people involved in it. Mm-hmm. So there was a sense of uh, some kind of this never-ending, unconditional kind of love that this person, that my character assumed that they say had for this guy. And even at the point of crying where she wants his happiness, even if it breaks her heart. Mm. And so, you know, looking at... But I am a lot like that. That is what's so weird. That is weird, even before I really realized. I I get a lot of when you see uh, when Apollonia comes in and she's asking you about applying for the job is that what mm. i see on screen that look that you gave <laughs> like you looked her up and down. was that some real Je- it Jill was Jones? totally real <laughs> yes i was totally like, okay. real because here's the crazy thing about this function 
you know, all that time we've been rehearsing with Vanity, with Denise, and uh, even in the middle of all the dysfunction, I was used to, to her. Gotcha. I was used to the setting. I was familiar with it. I had come to terms with it. So a new energy walking in was like, oh, man. And that was, was the kind of thing like, oh, is this girl too good to be true? <laughs> I mean, really. Um, and that played out. And I think somewhere we actually did do that even off screen. I didn't hang out with her during the filming very little. Hmm. And we tried very hard to keep the relationships like they were in the film on a, on a certain level. Uh, can you speak, was, was that sort of true in terms of like Prince and Morris as well? Or? Um, I, I, I think so to a degree. I think there was a competitiveness that existed from when they were young kids. But I also really think that Prince empowered Morris's character and really helped open him up um, and finding that Sagittarian ego that sometimes works for, for Morris. Morris is a real sweetheart, but, you know, he had to be he has a capacity to be a big personality hmm. when he's funny. And when he really is just himself, he's funny. Um, so I think he helped to usher it along. Like he found the little things and go, Oh, okay. And also remember that was also his alter ego. All of these things he was creating. Was that a lot of Prince in that Morse day sort of caricature? Yeah, I think that at the beginning, yes. I think that when, when he even did the first album, I think it was just because Prince had accumulated so many songs and different styles. The best outlet was, how do I get these songs? These, mm-hmm. The first allegiance, I think, was to the songs. And the songs kind of found the people. Or, the, or people were casted for the songs. Interesting. Wow. So, or however it played back and forth. And, um, yeah, it's kind of like chicken or egg thing here when you have to deal with some of the prince origins like Mm -hmm. was it the chicken or the egg or the egg and the chicken because was the song first or was the person first or and it it just all but all of it was him so when he deliberately changed streams from the controversy record and the dirty mind and controversy and he leapt right into like i'm going to get a hit record i'm going Hmm. to play in the in the game then, you know, he'd come all the way from the alt side and went right in. But he knew that, you know, okay, I put a blonde girl. Right. We cater to the MTV generation. It kind of worked. I mean, it just wasn't a, it wasn't the typical looking R&B band anymore. So some of the lighter faces, I'd feel, my opinion, were definitely calculated marketing mm-hmm. aspects. And and so when you guys are doing Purple Rain, and of course there's a lot of music being recorded, right? there's like, what, mm-hmm. three or four albums that are sort of spawned from this period. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. And oh, I, was, I wanted to ask you about The Glamorous Life. That's, uh, recently, mm-hmm. recently, there's a version of that song that, had, that surfaced with Prince singing it, and I'm thinking it's you singing on it there is. as well. Okay. So it, was that a song it that is. you were possibly going to do or something? Um, I wasn't really sure. Um, not completely sure. I sort of laid that down because it ended up being kind of the guide 
our vocals okay. um, for whoever was going to do it, but also it stayed in the song. Wow. So you're actually, some of your vocals are it on was, the finished song as well? Are you singing? Yeah, my, my whole vocal is in the song. Wow. Wow. Do you, so when you, when you hear songs like that and you guys are working on these songs, do you like kind of know like, yo, this song right here is bananas. Like I need to get this. Like, is there ever like, yo, who's, who's going to do this song? Cause this song is fire. Like, or is it just like, it's just another song we did. I like the song a lot. I just think that once it went into the Timbales and all the other stuff, I just, you know, I know Farnoli wanted it to go to me because I'd been around for a bit and he wanted they wanted to really um, make that move, but then Prince opted for Sheila and um, had a whole, you know, to do that whole Latin thing. Okay. So that's how it kind of went down. Um, and then he could therefore keep me working on other stuff too. But yeah, I didn't really sign my actual deal with Prince until 1986. Oh, okay. wow. wow. All that other time. Mm-hmm. Were you like, you know, not to get in all your, your money business, but I mean. My attorney told me not to sign it. My okay. attorney was Don Passman, who wrote the greatest book of all about the music business. He had said, I don't want you to sign this. Hmm. And um, Prince had called me when it was just getting held up. And he was in my attorney. I was in my attorney's office and he goes, look, we're best friends. If you ever want to leave, just ask me. I would never hold you to something like that. And I believed him. Hmm. Swear to God on my mother's life. That was exactly how it went down. And that's the only reason I signed it because he said, you know, and um, he didn't keep that promise. But, you know, other things must have been going on in his life to make him feel that um, that way. You know, uh, I think he had a hard time letting go of people once everybody started leaving. You know, Morris had left, mm -hmm. Vanity, Vanity had left, Morris left by this time. And I think he just had a hard time. And this was around 1990. So it was kind of like me and Jerome were the last two from the, you know, sort of sitting there. And we were the ones he clung really hard to and almost forced us to stay, like forced us. Were you, uh, so when Purple Rain comes out, I'd imagine that's the success of that must change things uh, more people coming into things. I'd imagine uh, uh -huh. more fame. What, what was your life uh -huh. like? What was your relationship with him at this point? Did you see less of him? I don't know if you were, you on the Purple Rain tour or? No, didn't go on the Purple Rain tour. Oh, wow. <clears throat> we, but I was on the tour, but I didn't go on the tour. I hit certain cities and, you know, and go meet up or something. Um, but people changed. Um, it was a very different energy, and um, it wasn't as simple and sweet as even though 1999 had its harem aspects, which was still like you know it was a there's still something very sweet in it, you know, very sweet. It was new, so it was tolerable, I guess. Or we were, we survived it. Purple Rain became more business mm. in a sense, and new people. Uh, very different energies and I'm not really good with a lot of different energies. I get used to me too. Like I'm only used to certain energies in a while and, you know, everybody wanted to be a star at that point. Sometimes I thought in, you know, 
the purple before that. It was more like, let's just do this. This is fun. Mm -hmm. And like my whole thing was when it's not fun anymore, I'm not going to do it. And I think Susan was the same as far as like, when it's not fun, I'm going to go back to college. And so we both had similar outlooks on that. Okay. And were you still around uh, sort of going under Cherry Moon? Were you? Uh... Mm-hmm. I was in France during the filming. Oh, okay. okay. Um, you know, at that point, Prince, uh, let's see, what happened with us? We, I moved to New York and um, went to school and um, sculpturing and art and at NYU and um, different places and um, went to school there and had a, you know, at one point he thought he wanted me in Under the Cherry Moon. I had mm-hmm. to audition for somebody and I didn't get the part. Wow. Um, but he had everybody audition. He had, I think, Anna Fantastic. She was, he, not was it her for that one or was it the, no, that was for Graffiti Bridge. Um, there were other people always, you know, Prince always had a long list of people that he was trying to always offering something to and how he would work it into. But I was in New York crafting myself. I had serious piano and development stuff. I was just constantly, I even took dressage, horse dressage. I mean, can you imagine? I don't know what kind of video I was going to be doing after that. <laughs> <laughs> When uh, um, had you started working on your album yet? Oh, we've been working here and there periodically. I had a beautiful home in New York. Okay. Um, and then during at one point, he was like, "Well, you know, I'm um, going to, um, you know, have to be getting engaged or something like that." I was like, "Yeah, I figure it's funny," and I was like, "Yeah, okay, fine." And wow. then he made uh, me do this thing with. Um, Nelson George to play the under the cherry moon stuff because he, he had concepts of how he wanted that to be a blurb. Like who was this girl? And now just for the future of when my new album would come out. Um, but yeah, it was, it was not a bad time. I mean, we still saw each other as much as, you know, it's like, I don't think really much changed other than I was living in New York. Now you said he told you he was getting engaged. Is that what Mm-hmm. Jill, if I may, um, I read a recent article or interview with you, and you said, mm-hmm. or you attributed that saying, that Prince wouldn't give lady friends flowers, he'd give them solo albums. And after the album yeah. was finished, you know, most times the relationship would be, you know, also ended at that point. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, my mother was a little more crass about it, because by this time she... <laughs> You know, my mom had been a Playboy bunny and at one point in her life. So she she knew some stuff and she said, look, um, she was more crude about it, you know, and she said, men, when you're with them, it's just certain men. It's just to keep you under control. Mm. And you know, like if you waver off the path and then you all of a sudden you're like back dating them again. It's just a control issue of men and some people call it a strong pimp game. Um, I'm not saying that he was that, but I would say that I think that once he completed the structure or the concept, 
that it feels like it was completed. Hmm. It was done. The whole creation was finished. And with me, there was some hesitancy in completing it. It took forever because that meant external people coming into my life and possibly having the same situation with a purple rain. Do you know what I mean? Now, Sheila got, you know, to experience that on one level. Mm. However, Sheila was totally dedicated to Prince, like, you know, like unbelievable. And other women, I think, of, of the earlier group were not going, we're all, we all wanted to go and get married, have kids and do the, you know what I mean? We all kind of had similar things going of, of our desires right. and we liked music too. We loved it. However, we wanted everything. And I think that hmm. that would have pushed it to the fire of like, oh, so now you're going out with what, you know, he experienced it a little with vanity because people from all over the world were contacting her, you know, hmm. um, it just, it just took the control a little out of his hands. He couldn't control that. That's just can't control the woman's emotions. Wow. How did, what is it? Um, and, you know, I'm going to tread lightly here, but I have to ask mm-hmm. when you made a comment, uh, I think it was on the Huffington post, which I was just reading that article today. I think they edited that this article. I don't know if you know this or not. It seems like some things are missing. Yeah, I, I know. Okay. Is, <laughs> yes. Well, is that something you asked them to do, or is that something? I didn't. I, I, I don't know. I think that um, the sweet girl who did the interview was like her first. She's, you know, embarking in the, in the writing arena, and um, so I think that I don't know what her process with, Huffington is and I, I've never I write as well for a magazine but I'm just not sure what their process is in mm. the editing or giving it to your editor I don't know but everything in there is she definitely that was what I said what, what, what did you mean you, you used the term and I, listen, I thought it was hysterical because <laughs> I'm stupid but it was the term plantation mistresses yes. what, what did you mean by that if, if you feel like if you can't explain that um, I think that, you know, some people are like, oh, plantation mistresses. Well, if anybody knows, and a lot of people got it wrong, uh, plantation mistresses, um, what color were they usually? Who was the, pla- what color were the plantation mistresses? Hey, we already know. They weren't black. Say no more. We we yeah. <laughs> okay. So the plantation mistresses for me was were the were the white people. And when white people sort of came in and started to I mean they'd been there, mm-hmm. but Prince housed them. It was when they started housing him that mm. I had a problem. Mm. Elaborate on that. I think I know where you're going. I think, like I said, everybody was sort of assigned a role because, you know, because, you know, I mean, in the game, it's like all of your managers, everybody, they're all, they've all, to be in it, it was always hard for African-American managers and African-American promoters. Mm -hmm. It just puts you in a box. It was like, okay, you're going on this tour. You're going on this, you're black. Oh, you're going on black radio. What? You're black. 
Prince knew that. He wasn't stupid. And he knew that the more white folks he had, because he could play everything. He didn't really, he could have been a one-man band. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, he could have put anybody there who didn't really play anything. Why a white person? Because it was for aesthetic. Completely. I'm not saying I was the best singer he had. I'll, I'll definitely go there. But what I will say is I utilized a position at that point, and I was the best at the time mm. um, of what he had in his lunchbox. And he made it work, and he fixed it, because he wasn't going to do the black girl background singer, not on 1999 and looking like, you know, you understand. It was like, mm, that's getting closer to I might get kicked back, you know, kicked out of the machine. Mm, back on that shit. So my thing was... Exactly. It, it was an image. Everything was an image. Everything was a creation. He had public relationships and he had private ones. And he was very, very careful about exposing his private ones. And he, he knew how to exploit his public ones. Now, was he, does that question his sincerity? I don't think so. If everybody knows what the destination is and everybody's getting something out of it, what's the problem? But for me, I think that, you know, when somebody tells you, I don't know, it's just, just that's the plantation mistresses mm -hmm. thing is okay. basically like I'm saying, you so, know, the, um, it certainly wasn't the old crew of women. I'd have gladly stayed on the, uh, in, in the, in the farm, <laughs> <laughs> if Denise and all the others stayed because I knew, I knew who we all were. I got you. But once the other ones came and mm -mm, it was different. A different type of vibe because or energy, you know, it was pandering. I, I oh. felt a little bit of, you know, people who knew how to manipulate him as much as anybody else or pander to him. And, Oh, hello, you're so cute. And oh, oh is yeah. he funny? <laughs> He got caught up. I am. Um, or hi, Kill. She's so cute. You know, it's kind of like I don't like that. Mm -hmm. I'll see I you never did. From. Yeah. Um, you know what I find interesting is I that never did. His his managers, his management team. Uh, is, I mentioned Stephen, uh, a couple of other guys. Was Farnoli. Farnoli was that like a, a Jewish uh, sort of base company or? No, no, they're all Italian. Italian. I'm sorry. All of them were Italians, and um, they had had little feet, and they did have earth, wind, and fire. Okay. And so Prince was, went with them, and um, they knew how to deal with the crossover market. Right. And they also had a lot of faith in him. But Steve was the youngest of the managers, really, um, Bob and Joe. Joe was the, like, you know, money guy who could always access that and had a lot of networks of people. So was Bob, but Bob also was more, you know, the formidable one. Let's get down to business. And Steve was the one who could actually, he had great ears, and he had the ears. Steve had ears of gold. He could hear a hit song. I, I always wonder because, you know, I know that they were very much, a, excuse me, a part of the infrastructure, but, you know, the later parts of the other half of Prince's career, I always associate him with just being this independent type of guy who didn't, have managers or you know didn't have to answer to anybody obviously but 
I was, I was curious, how did he work with that management team? Was he, would, would he just say, hey, I want to do this, make this sort of happen? Or would they suggest sort of things? Like in terms of like the movie, was it just something like he said, yo, I want to make this movie? Can you guys? Yeah. Make and they happen? found out how to do it because they okay. could see the vision. You know, I think. And then Jamie Shoup was involved. She was the other second manager who really was his day to day. Um, these people loved him and cared about him and his well-being, especially Jamie um, and even Steve. I think that they it, it, if they saw his vision and they saw how, how great and genius he was, that was never a doubt. He was never going to be, you know, placed on the back burner. There was really this mutual thing. And if they if he said, this is what my album cover I want it to be, they got it. Like, and it was like, it seemed like they discussed it. They had their things where, but they were straight up. Bob would say, I can't do, we can't get the money or we need to do this. So here, here's the money. We're going to do it ourselves. And I think he liked that too. They totally, I, I, I think they were really good for him. Maybe, you know, sometimes, I mean, they would speak up to him and say what they didn't think. Like, oh no, I don't really care for this or X, Y, and Z. Hmm. All right. Uh, so the the Jill Jones album, that that first album. First of all, let me say that, and I'm I know you've already heard this, but that album is dope. Like uh, my favorite song is Violet Blue. I remember first hearing that, I was like, my jaw dropped because I mean, just that. I was like, ah. Thank you. And then when you just come, so I know all your parts, but I'm not going to play myself and <laughs> try to sing. <laughs> but that album has got a lot of dope stuff on that. And even back then, when it first came out, I was like, why is this not, you know, bubbling up, blowing up and stuff? Because these cuts on here, of course, you know, as a fan, we heard snippets, uh, in uh, under the cherry moon not knowing that that was some of your songs but i remember when i started hearing i'm like oh that was that track that was in the movie and uh, i remember seeing the video mia boca but it was like you didn't really see it a lot and this is the time when prince was hot you know everything he touched was getting played well we got banned by the my moral majority tipper gores what Yeah, and then they banned it from MTV, and it would only get played at 2 in the morning. But what a lot of people don't understand is around this time, and this is where I really want to bring back, even with plantation mistresses and that whole concept of where I'm going with that. Um, what it has to do with is when you're with, with people, people change when you, get, when you become successful. Um, how they interact with you what they want from you, and if they can leverage you. Now, when Prince got Paisley Park and he wanted to do this, I remembered my mom was like, oh, I don't know, vanity labels never really fare too well. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, the Beatles, look, it ends up being a major tax write-off. But if somebody really wants to do it right, it would be pretty amazing. It's a very generous thing to do. Madonna actually did do that. She actually saw success. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just a vanity label. She had her, she's a Leo. Leos are like, look, I'm not going to fail at this and I'm going to have hits. So right. that's how that works. However, they wouldn't really afford Prince the same, the same thing. Because what people didn't know is around that time is when MTV or radio people started 
asking him for favors in order to get his acts to be played. Mm. So it wasn't just straight up, here's my new stuff, put it on. They're like, can you play our Christmas party? Okay. And so after a point, he's still an artist, but he's not, you know, it's like then he had to wear all of these hats. And I think it was extremely stressful. And he did promise. Um, a couple of things to people and he did like, you know, but he ended up not doing it. Uh, I think one of their stupid parties, but that's when, you know, you, this is the sad part about the business when artists end up in gilded cages mm-hmm. because people go and bitch about them all the time online and this one, and it still exists today. Somebody's always leveraging another person mm-hmm. in this business to do something and especially when they want to break out of it and, you know, propel themselves forward and expand it. And everybody in this social media needs to calm down on the criticism with people because you really don't know what's going on behind the scene. And that was a big factor. There were just different ways that, and then once he's in so much debt, then, then the label has more, um, more like, oh, well, now we need you to do this. You need to give us this hit or whatever. So that's, mm. that was a lot. And, a, and, and it could leave a person quite reticent and resentful of that because you're putting out this music. You're like, what the hell? And then they're like, oh, we're not going to do anything with it. So it's kind of a slap in his face. He was really proud of our record. This is a good freaking record. Like, I mean... I, I mean, shit, I remember buying the 12 Inches, you know, For Love. You guys had, like, the remix on there. Uh, and he loved the, the video. He had nothing to do with the video, but really? he got the reels, and he just was so excited, like, just beyond. Like, this is beautiful, like, because it was the first thing that Paisley had ever put out that was exquisite, like, on a visual level. He mm. There was money spent, and it mm. was just with the best of the best, and he loved that. Um, yeah, who, who it was, was like, he really on a certain level did treat me like a princess. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in the way of that, uh, to get me the very best of the best and that I will always be grateful for him for that. Yeah. Really, really, truly. You had, uh, Claire Fisher on that album. Mm-hmm. It was amazing yeah. stuff. <laughs> like crazy um who else who else worked on that album I, I, the, the guy's name is escaping me is it david or Bob? david pickle uh, no, no david rifkin david, david, rifkin. Z. david Z. yeah that was bobby's brother <clears throat> and um he definitely we did most of the recording together we would just send prince the tapes and stuff okay i think there were a couple vocals we cut violet blue together and wow. Mia Boca together, me and Prince. Wow. And um, with you, he asked me to do that one. He was like, would you mind? And, you know, he doesn't, didn't really ask people to mm-hmm. cover something of his. He hated that. But I was really like, wow, okay, sure, I'll do that. He wow. wanted me to sing it. Yeah, yeah, with you uh, all day, was it all day, all night? Mm-hmm. All day, all night. That's the cut. Man, that's fire. Yeah, it is. And his version is really amazing, too. Now, um, is his version is taken from a live recording, is it? Is that music taken from? Uh-huh. Yeah. Amazing. It is. Amazing. Um, so that album comes out, and, and you, so you sort of kind of breaking down sort of the behind the scenes of why I assume the label and different outlets like MTV are not 
supporting it as they should. Would you have an opportunity to go out and tour on it or do, you know, do any dates? Performances? We did a couple of dates at level 42, which was, you know, whatever. I mean, it was good. They were really nice guys. Um, but no, we didn't really tour at all. We rehearsed a hell of a long time, but nothing mm. really manifested from that. And then I ended up going over to Europe and just doing stuff over there because Rob Dickens, who was the head of Warner's, WIA over there, saw something with the album. And then things were much better there. But, you know, to say if I played it exactly right and getting the financial support to do the touring and get on festivals, I didn't do that. And that's a mistake. I should have I should have like initiated and tried to really figure that out, but I, I really didn't understand how critical and crucial timing is, you know? Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a little, it was a little difficult because I, I think that there was a lot of transitions starting to happen and more financial responsibilities and ways to bring money back in to support this albatross. And yet his vision with Paisley and building it and all of that, those were things he always wanted. And he accomplished that. Mm -hmm. He built it. He bought the land. He did all of these things. But um, he worked his, himself very hard to get it. Um, fast forwarding to Graffiti Bridge. Uh, I, mm -hmm. remember, I remember reading something about you on a plane reading your part in the movie or something and yes because it changed what, what was your parts originally going to be and are you playing the well, same character from purple Run? i originally i was a girl named electra oh. and um it was more of a heaven kind of heavenly kind of existence and with the earthbound you know kid um and the darker forces so that still existed but when I got that script and then I got on the plane I was reading it and I said what the heck happened it had changed the script had changed it was totally different and I think it was because the original script was with Kim Basinger in mm. mind and wow. then that just went away whenever that went away <laughs> so you <laughs> had you had not had you still had been sort of seeing him between this period or was it like you hadn't talked to him in a while and he's like, Hey, do you want to be in this? Movie? I knew that they weren't together anymore. And he called and told me and said, I got to going to send you the new script. It's changed a little bit. Well, it changed a lot. And I was like, that was when I'd gotten it. And I was sitting there on the way there. I was like, okay. So I started reading and I went, what the hell is this? <laughs> You know, I was like, what am I doing? I'm so mean in this thing. But it does reflect a little bit of how our our relationship had changed a little bit. I was a little more like, yeah, okay. Mm. You know, I'd been in living in Europe for a little bit. Mm. And um, I remember he saw me in Paris once. And he called my house in Paris. He was like, can you come over? I was like, all right, fine. There's the cars in front of your house already. I was like, it, I'm asleep. I was like, okay, fine. So I threw on like the, this old vintage dress that was hanging on a chair. I threw it on, whipped on, put some makeup on, whatever. Anyway, I get there and I had on my police shoes and he hated those police shoes. He hated, and I loved wearing police shoes. They were so comfortable. 
He's like, you look awful. Damn. And I was like, really? I was like, it. He goes, look at you. You know, you're in one of the fashion capitals of the world, whatever. And I said, Prince, it's three o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry I didn't put my ball gown on to come <laughs> over here. You know, I was like, I'm sorry. You know, I was just like, and, you know, you got a whole, I got a whole lecture. And that was just, you know, his way of, um, because I started to kind of pull away a little bit after, um, under the cherry moon a little bit. I kind of, you know, it was kind of like my time to, to just go. And I have a tendency when I start to get emotionally overtaken by something that hurts me, I will leave. I'll just walk out the door. And I've done mm. it many times with people. I've walked out and never gone back and left everything in a house before. Everything. So I will do that. And um, that was just a way, like, oh, so you're here. And I was like, yeah, you know, and that was just our dynamic. What what and was it? Then, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was. What was no, it, what was the on, dynamic sorry. like on the set of uh, Graffiti Bridge? Well, by the time I got there, I was in such a foul mood about how small my part was again because the first script was quite pretty. It was it was really nice, and um, it just seemed rushed, and that he had you know wasn't taking a minute to just think about what he wanted to do, and he just made a commitment to do it and he was going to just do it no matter what. And, um, he was really excited about the sets and that he was directing it and he was really, really thrilled. And, um, he had Ingrid working on it and, um, hmm. you know, it just, he tried to keep, you know, good spirits as best he could. Um, and I think he really thought it was going to work. I, I mean, it just, did you think it was working as you? I don't know what you, happened. Did, you did think, I? Did you think it was working as you I guys were doing sure. it? Okay. I wasn't sure. I thought that his fan base would have really stuck by him, but after after Under the Cherry Moon, see, I didn't understand why no one liked Under the Cherry Moon. I thought it was really very yeah. old time nineteen thirties movies, and I loved that I because I'd watched movies like that with him before, mm -hmm. and I knew what he was getting at. I just think that. The world was becoming harder and a little more darker around these times. And, and I also think that our people, African-Americans, had a very difficult time seeing themselves in these roles. Hmm. Um, there was some kind of disconnect, a, a refusal of, like, what, are they taking the piss? What, what is this for real? You know, <laughs> um, and yet I've met guys like that in France, by the way. Easily. It wasn't like it was an anomaly. It did exist. Guys who just like, you know, could run a woman to death in France, you know. Yeah. You know, I think it's. That's why I tell some friends here in America, get out of America, <laughs> go to Europe. Right. <laughs> you know, I think I think um, people were so enamored and so used to seeing Prince, that Purple Rain sort of Prince. And I think just looking at Graffiti, now I love Graffiti, not Graffiti, but I love under the cherry moon but i know like for mm -hmm. like my cousins and people who were heavy prince fans even before i was they sort of pulled back uh from that movie um and i know too like some people felt some kind of way because you know the lead was you know a white lady and they just felt like well, I, I and i also this. think she i agree i don't think she was the right one for it to be if you really want to know the yeah. truth i think that was the disconnect because nobody cared about her character. 
um, right. it, they it, it didn't feel like the chemistry was she was too austere almost almost I don't know for me that was the one drawback yeah it just didn't you didn't I mean her character nothing to shade on the character it was just something that it was foreign it was like a foreign sort of she was rich uh, you know girl or whatever in the family sort of thing and, and when we think of Prince or something it was just kind of like I thought he would have you know an Apollonia or you know what I mean or somebody that oh, okay right. yeah you know what I'm saying we just didn't it just seemed that part of it seemed off uh, initially and I think these people were, again were so used to seeing Prince in a certain way and I was just like ah you know and as you you know kind of mentioned it, it became a little more like I guess you know he had to do that to get you know, bigger fame or whatever, play the game. I, I, I do understand that. But I just think we probably was kind of like, eh. But I love the movie, but I can see how that sort of, you know, plays into a little bit. But, and then going to Cherry Moon, I mean, not Cherry Moon, but Graffiti Bridge, I think mm-hmm. with that one too, it was like, and as you said, things got darker. I wouldn't say they necessarily got darker, but definitely the influence of a different style and hip hop and things really started to come to the forefront. And I just think a lot of that stuff was just like, yo, this looks like um, Prince is on some other stuff at this point. That's why we would just look at it in the streets. It was like, he's a bad motherfucker, but it's like, what? what's going You know, he just seems, he seemed like he was, this is sound funny. He was on that Michael Jackson. You know what I mean? Like he was such a huge thing. Yeah. It was like, it, you almost didn't relate to him a little bit because he was just doing his True. own thing. You know what I mean? I think that he also... He had started to cut people out of his life around that time, and there was a level of, of, it was a bit of a gilded cage, and not trusting anyone and thinking that, you know, starting to see people maybe in the worst light. And when you start to see people in their worst capacity, you actually, sadly, only attract it. It's just like if you focus on, okay, so there's thieves in the temple and all of this and the darkness. He he was so focused on dispelling darkness from his life mm. that he actually, I feel, attracted it. Interesting, interesting. One thing, um, back to Under the Cherry Moon, with the Mary Sharon character, now that I'm thinking about it, they had mentioned in the film that she had some type of mental issue, that character. They didn't play upon that, so that really didn't really give her a chance for the audience to care about her at all. Exactly. And, and with um, Graffiti Bridge, it's just like you said. So many people had been pushed away. You look at the film, and we, I mean, we, you know, we fans know who the time is, but other than that, I'm like, well, who, who are these cats in the band? You know, who's exactly. Mister Yo? Let me rap. Who, who are these people? And I know. It did look a little different. It did look a little different. And it was hard to see him chasing a trend That's when the he word. had been a trendsetter. He was know? definitely chasing it at that time, definitely. Yeah, he was, and that was kind of like, what? who am I? What am I going to do? It was like, you know, I'm sure the label was like, we need this, we need, you know, more. You know, Belle Biv DeVoe had a hit. Hysterical. <laughs> like, oh, all right. <laughs> you know, okay. Because um, even some of our mixes around that time... You know, we had Chris Lord Algae do a remix on one of my songs, and it had all that, you know, you know what I'm talking yeah, about, that yeah, yeah. pop, pop, fizz stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's okay, I mean, but there was something for me that 
you know, authenticity is really important. And sometimes you have to just take a break sometimes and ride, ride the wave and find other stuff for a minute. But, you know, if anything facilitated any kind of one, one thing with him is that he was a workaholic and, you know, there, that, that's a lot of people praise that, uh, years ago with people. And we still do think, Oh, they work so hard and they're just, Oh, wow. It's a horrible thing to be because it's an addiction. And then what happens is when you're a workaholic, you find other stuff to facilitate the workaholism. You find things to keep that going, whether it be new people, new this, new that. You beat your body to a pulp. It's one of the most unhealthy things you could do to yourself physically, mentally. You need periods of a vacation. You know, going on a vacation, we went on a boat once, and I mean, I think we got halfway out, and he's like, I want to go back. (laughs) And it was like, oh, man, okay, here we go. You know, it's like, dude. So yeah, so you got to have that balance in your life, I guess, right? To you totally do, and it's it's like you do. Everybody needs it because it's your. But then his communal time with himself, I guess, was creating all these things in the music world. But somewhere along the way, it's like it just consumed him, you know. And that what seems like it, music was his only friend. And that's beautiful, but it's really kind of heartbreaking a little bit, too. It's definitely a sacrifice. He definitely sacrificed a lot to to be, you know, what he was and what he is uh, to get there. You know, it wasn't, you know what I mean? Like, as you say, it's not like he had to sort of maybe forego some of the things that people do in life because he's so focused on his mission or, you know. His, his dad once told me that I was like Delilah. <laughs> and um, I'd been in the hospital for a surgery, and so I remembered I was. I woke up, and everybody else had sent me flowers and beautiful things and just tons of flowers all over my room. And, um, of course, Prince's basket was toys, candy, candy necklaces. I mean, everything a, a five-year-old girl would have loved, <laughs> a little mini dollhouse. I mean, it was very, very cute. It stood out the most. See, this is the thing. You go, there's the guy who had the yachts who sent me like a gazillion flowers. And then there's the guy who sends me a basket of kids' toys. And, and who do you end up back with? The guy who sent you the kids' toys. Because, of <laughs> course, you're like, who would do such a thing? And my mom was just shaking her head like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> You know, like, oh, mm, yeah, all right. So, um, you know, it's like then his father had said to me, like, you know, the thing with you two, you're kind of like Delilah. And I was like, Delilah who? And he was like, I said, Delilah in the Bible? <laughs> Samson's Delilah? And he was like, yeah. And I said, well, that's not quite the compliment. He goes, well, you you kind of make him weak. Hmm. And I was like, I make Prince weak. And I, and I was like, that's really not cool to say. He was like, not in a bad way. He goes, not completely like Samson. He goes, but he actually would sit and watch movies and do nothing. Hmm. And I was like, well, what's wrong with this? Is that a weakness just to want to do different things? You know, is it a weakness to want to go horseback riding? What, what mission have you guys given him, you know, on the day he got born? I mean, really, there's some kind of balance in life that needs to exist. Hmm. 
Talk to me about Mr. John L. Nelson. What, what kind of guy was he, you know, when, when he, you were Loved him. He was funny. He was a man of principles, though. Very disciplined. Um, very, uh, had a great sense of humor. Um, he was super talented. Hmm. He adored his son. He was a really good pool player um, oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, very spiritual, religious, like God was very important to him. Hmm. I mean, we once walked out, me and him walked out of a play, Cats. Um, yeah, we walked out because when the black cat popped up and had the red eyes, he was like, oh, no, I can't, I can't. Oh, wow. This. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So we left and came home, and Prince was like, hey, you guys are back already? I was like, yep. And he's like, what happened? And his dad went in his room, and I was like, well. He goes, did you hear the Grizabella thing? I said, no, didn't even get to hear memory. I said, no. <laughs> we left sort of at the beginning when the cat comes up and jumps out of the garbage can. The black one is <laughs> like, you know, starts talking about evil and whatever the black cat it was like mm, gotta go so he was very like he didn't like things to enter his energy right, right. that uh got him off of where he was it was just it's cute he was adorable and um he and prince worked well together and i think prince helped to reconstruct his creativity and he got to understand his father's playing because John L. would not just play a simple chord. He play, played the most beautifully intricate, uh, astonishingly beautiful chords. And then Prince would know how to really assimilate that and help to bring some of John's dreams. I mean, it must have been a beautiful thing for him to see this collaborative thing work so well between mm -hmm. the two of them, really. Wow. And he brought a sense of spirituality around um, he really did, because at the end of the day, that was very important to him, his struggles. Okay. Yeah, I always get the sense that his, as with all a lot of sons, it seemed like he was really doing a lot of this because of his dad. I don't know if that's the way to say, like got, mm. got it from yeah. him, you know? Yeah, I think there's a... You know, there's this thing between the father and the son. Um, I'm convinced, you know, maybe some karmic responsibility or something that had to be played out karmically. Mm. Because John L. was not going to get, you know, it, it wasn't going to go any further than where it was until Prince got where he was. And Prince brought him out because... You know, Mr. Nelson could, you know, be kind of a hermit sometimes. Hmm. Um, and just live with his music. He, too, okay. could just be happy with his music. Wow. Did you meet Prince's mother as well? I assume you did. Mm-hmm. Not a lot. All right. I remember meeting his little brother, Omar, when he was little. So it's always funny to see him now that he's grown up. <laughs> it really, you go, oh, wow, we were, woof. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, she was a lovely woman. Um, but that relationship was definitely, you know, their thing. Mm, okay. And I wasn't, I've 
never really liked meeting people's moms, to be honest. I mean, actually, as I got older, I started getting better at it <laughs> with people. But, uh, you know, moms and sons, that's, ooh, that's an yeah. interesting one, too. Was are you are you saying, was he like a mama's boy or some some sort? Or no, no, no. Oh, okay. I just think that mothers always sense like my mom sense things and my things about my child. I do it with gotcha. my kid. I know things. I'll you know, mm-hmm. but I I think that um, yeah, he was quite gentle with her. So you know, it wasn't anything. You know, he just was a really nice suburban kid, it seems like. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's hard to picture that in print. It sounds really weird to say this, but yeah, they're really nice people. Right. <laughs> um, you mentioned your your daughter, actually. Your, your daughter's a singer, too, right? Like, she's got something coming out I saw on your Facebook? Yeah, she's on Fiction Records um, okay. and uh, in London. And yeah, she's got her own thing coming out, you know. It's funny. I mean, hopefully the stuff, information I've given to her mm-hmm. is just based upon all the mistakes that I made. I mean, that's the role I just see myself in her life for her music, just to be like, look, because I was so angry for so many years about the business. And most of my friends do hit that point in the music business where you're like, this is what it's come to, mm-hmm. you know, um, how people feel so used up musicians do everybody. And Mm -hmm. it's always, that's always mind blowing when you hit that point. Like I, here I am, you know, and, and what, you know, so it's difficult. Um, And it, it can make friends, you know, it's always wonderful if you can still be friends with people through it because it's a nasty business. It's not worth fighting with your friends over, masters this yes on a certain level but if you stay friends friends take care of each other anyway exactly and speaking of your friendship so you know uh man this year has been obviously has been heavy but we have you know denise vanity yeah um and i read some of the stuff you're talking about where you guys you had a chance to sort of get back together with uh i think it was susan Apollonia, Brenda, Brenda, yeah, yeah, uh, and reconnect with them. And if you don't mind, I, I, you said you guys all sort of got to uh, connect, link up with Prince, sort of the last time. Uh, yes, except Brenda had left early. It was just okay. me, Susan, Apollonia, and her sister, and a couple, my cousin, and a friend of, uh, and one of my closest friends, me and Apollonia's friends. What was that like, you guys all getting back together at that time, you know? Um, I think when we got back together, it was great. I mean, it was under the circumstances, no. It was horrific. But I, I've often been saying that in life, you will always be a villain and a hero to somebody. Hmm. There's somebody in your life. You will play that either part in their lives, whether it's the person on the street that you yelled at, you're a villain. And for the rest of their life, they will have that imprinted in their brain. You don't get many second chances. So the first ones and first impressions are key. I, I often thought that 
you know, coming back was really a kind of twist, a very bittersweet gift from Denise to mm-hmm. bring us together mm-hmm. because the people that did not show up to her, to her service, you know, they weren't supposed to be there because this was supposed to, it was magical and it was definitely some kind of intercedence going on um, to, to move, move the stars in heaven mm-hmm. to uh, facilitate what was to occur, which was this kind of, it was a goodbye in a really weird way. It was a hello and a goodbye. And it was also a touchstone of people who were important to each other at no matter what odds or anything we went to went through. I guess maybe that's why I'm so hard and, and, and very firm about those early years. And even though it seemed really oppressive with those women and challenging at times, at the end of the day, they were a part of something so part of my character Mm -hmm. and in my blood, like, um, Brenda, um, vanity or Denise and, um, Susan. And then of course, Apollonia coming in later, they really, that for me was a sign that this is where I'm rooted and where I'll be the strongest. And so when we saw him that night, it was as if we were all back the way we were, except Hmm. one was missing and it was Denise. And yet it was so heavy because she was totally hanging above or her energy. And it was, it was this really odd thing of like, here we are, we, you know, and one of us is not here at the table. And you don't you don't go, you know, what a horrible thing. It's just an, a silent acknowledgement of like the years that have passed, the years we earned together, and it had nothing to do. It's so interesting, nothing to do with albums, songs, none of it. Right. It was just like a true thing of like we were here to help you with your dream, Prince, and we were all a part of this really beautiful, sleepy dream, and it's it's um. And that's what mattered. And I think it was a gift from her. It was a true, that's those, the people who were there were supposed to be there. Because wow. if, if one more had have been there that shouldn't have, it wouldn't have been the way it was. It wouldn't have gone down the way it did. Right. What, what was uh conversation in terms of like, I think you, you were saying something that you had mentioned, you guys should all go skydiving or something. Is it? Yeah, I had, um, <laughs> I had said, you know, an acknowledgement of, us being together at this state, I said, you know, we should all get together every year one time <laughs> and do a weekend, a retreat, or go to Dubai and do stuff we've never done. Maybe mm-hmm. we could go skydiving. And then everyone was like, and he was like, I'm not skydiving. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I started laughing. And then the girls were like, well, we're not skydiving. You can. And it was just a really cute thing. And it was just, you know, when, when, um, Private jokes that existed back then came up again. <laughs> Prince had his private jokes when Susan and um, and Apollonia were on the stage, you know, t- downstairs, so the people hadn't seen Susan in ages. And then Prince made his jokes about that with me, and I was like, "You always said that." <laughs> so it was kind of like, no matter how much you feel you've changed, people that energy that was always there it goes right back what you all create together Mm. and you know it was right there and I was you know 18 again 
and you know when he was 26 or 24 it was it was really sweet i mean i did feel that there was an issue um physically um hmm. because he was really frail and um it was just an energy i picked up on just something and um I'd known about his hips and his different kind of pain. It's, I mean, I don't want anybody to think because I said, I thought he was on something that he was knocked down, drag out there, you know, right. no, not at all. It's just, this is somebody I actually, I slept with them. I, I lived with them for a bit. I, I don't, and I'm very intuitive and a story hands down and that's it. And it's like that person was, close to me like my blood so i don't care what people are like oh she hadn't been around forever i don't care you know fuck you you know it does right. it seriously sometimes a stranger can see you on the street and read your soul mm -hmm. in two seconds mm -hmm. and you've never met them yeah that's true it's just the way it goes i can't explain it but you know that's just the way it is what you do with it, it's like, we don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm still come to terms with well, what does one do somewhere right. with all of that? I mean, you had, I assume you hadn't seen him in a while. I mean, did he look, I, I can understand you, you getting that vibe from him. Did he look like, did he look like the prince you knew? I mean, obviously you got, everyone's sort of, you know, has been through life experiences, but. Yeah, but he was always so, you know, weight conscious and figures, figures, you know, figure thin. Um, you know, I put on some pounds, so I was like, well, maybe it's me because, you know, I've got this little Robin body going on right now. <laughs> you know, like, hmm, maybe it's me. And I was, I'm so big. I'm just big, I'm tall. And I suddenly realized, damn, you are bigger than all these people. How did you do this? I mean, you know, some people were always like, how come he never put you in Vanity Six? I was like, because I'm too damn big. I was like, it mm -hmm. throws the whole look off. Are you kidding? Did y'all ever know you? Most people don't know. I'm like five, eight and a half. I'm huh. tall. Whoa. I know that. Yeah. I didn't know that either. I, um, hey, I don't know about yeah. the big part, but. Big bones. Oh, wow. Well, big hey. girl. But it, it wasn't that. It was just an energy. It was just a very peaceful, calm, you know, laughing about stuff. One thing that I can share that I said, you know, Prince, I said, all of these women here, I said, have become such close friends of mine through the years. You know, we touch base and whatever. And I said, and I have to thank you for that. I said, I would have never found them in this lifetime if it hadn't have been for you. And he said, oh, so now you're okay with it? Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my man, Prince. That was the best. I fell out laughing. I was like, yeah. I went, yeah, well, yeah. So it took me a while to come around. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but, yeah, maybe uh, less removed. I mean, him walking through was a little different than the past with our bands because everybody was so much more friendlier to each other backstage or we all had interactions with each other. This felt a little bit more like Steve Jobs walking into a corporate facility. Hmm. With the workers. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. Where you don't go, why are you wearing those shoes? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or or see, yeah, it was very, he definitely had a very different role. 
and it was exclusive to who, like he was definitely the boss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, and I can't imagine how lonely that must be. Although he and Van Jones, he spoke amazingly about him okay. and um, <clears throat> told me all about how they got the masters and stuff with Warners. And he just said, he's such a good guy. And when he spoke about him and, you know, their political conversations, he really, really, um, really trust seemed to trust him he seemed to hmm. that's uh that's a whole other side of prince man that i really love that it sort of trickles out you hear these stories and stuff and the things that he was doing and you know the different stuff that he was supporting and actually putting time and money into different you know uh, causes and different things that was going on that stuff is to me that made me just really look at him and I was like you know what he was a thorough thorough dude like you could see how he grew and changed and uh, I get the understanding that he was probably really about us early on but as you kind of break down he had to sort of navigate and play the game and get in the position where he could make these moves. totally I mean you know because even myself, even I was like, uh, really, this is it. I, I'm going to go into advertising. You know, it's like, I think that that's a natural progression. And he tried to stay and become an advocate for new artists because even Susan ran up and said, Prince, Jill's daughter is singing. And, you know, he goes, I know. He's like, um, but he goes, Jill, you know, it's not the same business it used to be. I was like, hmm. yeah, I know. Um, he, but he was like, she shouldn't sign her deal. He actually hmm. was against her signing the contract, you know, and I was like, okay. Calm down. It's not, <laughs> you know, it became a big thing for a minute. I was like, calm down. All right. <laughs> um, but the thing was, uh, we were all just really having a great conversation. And um, he still was going on about young artists and what they need to do. Mm-hmm. And um, the girls were like, you should work with her. You should work with her. I said, I don't know if Zeus is, you know, as is going to want this, you know, but he was like, you know, no, sure. So if, if I would have to say that he, there was a issue with his future aspirations, I don't get that he was, didn't have them anymore. Do you know what I mean? Cause he's like, Jill, I'll talk to you in a month or so. He goes, a month, give me a month. And he goes, when I'm finished with this, I was like, okay, cool. So, hmm. you know, that's the hardest part for me because it's just kind of like, and all of us, because the girls were planning to go up in the summer with their kids. Um, so that's, that's why it just sort of was like, oh my God. And the worst part of it is that when Apollonia and I were driving back from, from Sam, from Oakland, we were in the car and we were speaking about how horrible the weekend, you know, beautiful, but horrible. But I was, I made this really weird comment. I said, I don't even want to think about what it would be like when he goes and said that in the car. Oh, wow. She remembers that hmm. because I don't know why I wouldn't even think of things. I said, I don't even want to think about that. This would be the worst thing ever. And it's true. And when he did go, it was just like, I really couldn't believe it. Couldn't and still really don't. And it physically made me sick. That was the other thing. I, I just imagine. physically was sick to my stomach. I can imagine. What what do you, what do you think of his uh, what would you want people to think of his legacy? You know, 
What do you think was important to know about Prince? Mm, the mind that never stopped. Um, you know, I think he was really in touch with such a higher dimension, and he trusted. The only thing he trusted was that those those gifts, and he was also, I think, full of gratitude for some of his gifts. I think that, you know, um, I think the legacy should be someone who really created their own Camelot and sort of opened up doors for people to know that they could do the same. You know, Jimmy and Terry went on to create theirs Mm -hmm. and to create their world within it and to really, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, to really be so in touch with your dream and to never give up on it on that level. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> I kind of want to wrap up a little bit, but I wanted to make sure too that mm-hmm. we, we talk about at least, you know, you went on to do three other albums. Am I correct? You've done four albums. Total? Yeah, I think I did. Yes. Um, I know you're doing the tech thing, but you, is, is there still a desire to do music, or are you sort of transition? Yeah, I love doing music. I'll probably do some shows coming up just because, you know, I just want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel that I want to do it. I was performing a lot in New York at one point and um, different places, and that was the first record I, I did outside of working with Prince was a... Um, an album called Two that I worked on with mm-hmm. Chris Bruce, who mm-hmm. uh, has worked with like Seal and Michelle and Digicello. He's one of my close friends. That was sort of a healing record for me. It was just a, after losing everything and mm-hmm. whatnot um, in my life, I did that album. Albums have to move me. I, I'm the type of person for any of my music. It, it usually is always from some something I'm working out. So for me, it's always been some kind of way for me to work something out in my life. The This new record um, that I just released around the time Prince passed was a dance music, and it was me coming into my own. Mm. Um, and I'd been doing a lot of meditation and mantras and understanding spirit and energy, so it's interesting. Um, so I found a nice balance with that. And then after that, I didn't really tour with that because this happened his passing and mm-hmm. I just felt it just felt kind of strange to be out, you know, I don't know. I just wasn't feeling it. So now for some reason in the last couple of weeks, I've even in the middle of working at my company, I've been writing again and doing um, more R and B music again. Oh. It, and I haven't really written like that in ages. That is what's um, very weird. Oh. Very, very weird. I would love to hear some of that. Yeah, that one is, is, is um, I have a good feeling about what it is because it's actually helping me. Okay. Um, creativity for me has always been a way to manifest and to heal. Mm. It's like everything we speak about, you either manifest it or you can heal yourself. You got to watch the words that we speak because it's, right. it's kind of... Um, yeah, losing people is, uh, I don't really, no one likes that. This has been tough. Um, also, I was going to congratulate you on your uh, marriage. You just uh, had an anniversary, correct? Oh, 
<laughs> yeah, I had an anniversary five years. We are now. Five years. Congratulations. Oh, so, yeah. It's my second marriage. Yeah. You know, the, the pictures of you and your husband on Facebook are going to sound like a, like a, like a big, uh, sensitive, you know, girl here. But you guys are so <laughs> in love. And it comes across real clear in your pictures because you are just radiant when you stand next to him. You really are. Oh, thank you. Uh, he's a Gemini, too. Funny. The first <laughs> husband was a Pisces, who's gone on to become a yogi. And that was a wonderful thing, too, as far as the reason I'm bringing him up is because, you know, the universe gives you funny things. I was always the kind of person who'd leave something, never talk to exes again, never, that mm. bye, <clears throat> slam the door. Um, with... Uh, having my daughter with the first marriage forced me to grow a little bit and learning how to mend relationships and to actually have better ones than the ones that you think. So when it came back to with the girls and, and everybody getting really involved and knowing that love where the love, the core of it really exists in all of your relationships. Hmm. Once that started changing and how I started interacting a little bit with Prince online over the years and I'd defend him in certain things and he would post something about me. That was like an invisible way of communicating. I mean, a real kind of telepathic and I knew we were fine. I was like, I know we're cool. We're cool. Um, but hmm. once I started changing those relationships and how I looked at them and started looking at each person from those times with love and not like, you know, jealousy or resentment, my life changed. And I met my husband and things started changing. They started to fall into place. Hmm. And if I had to say anything to anybody, it's revisit old things that got fractured and do it sooner than later. Hmm. Because it, it really does bring you back to why you came here. These are, we've all known each other before. Like even you two, I don't know why you guys had to do this podcast, <laughs> but we decided it maybe hundreds of years ago or whatever. I mean, it's a maybe taking people out on their own spiritual journey, but mm -hmm. the thing is I'd rather think of it that way because I'd rather see us more connected than divided. And that's a better way for me to live with people. I feel that. I feel that. One last thing, if you will. <clears throat> and I, I will hope I wanted to see if you can speak to, we got a lot of ladies young and old who listen to this show and you know one of the things that i i also wanted to get across with you because when i look at your, your your life and from what i can see from the outside you know i see the young girl who uh you know meets this guy who i can hopefully i can say to say was sort of like the love of her life at that time or you know one mm -hmm. of your first first yeah, loves right true. Can you say something to, you know, women when they come across these guys? And you mentioned something where there's a situation where he's sort of you almost engulfed uh, yeah. with, with everything about this man. But you have come out to be your own woman and you're your mother and you have a five year marriage and very successful. You know, we didn't go too deep, but that transition from the very public life to. You know, the life you li live now mm. had to be mm -hmm. a, a journey in itself. But what can you say to these women who meet these men and maybe getting overtaken uh, by the love and just, you know, everything that a man sort of brings to a woman and still be a woman yourself? Like, how do you 
if you'd have known what you knew now and you met Prince at that age, obviously you probably would approach it totally different. Or maybe not. But can you totally? Speak? I yeah. mean, but maybe not. I, you know, I um, I wouldn't change a thing. Okay. With the way it went down, not anything, because I had to start to understand who I was. I, I and and um. But could I repeat that with another individual man? No, never. Mm. He had to be the one that I did this with. Um, I also know that in in the situation i had my little weird things too Mm. that you know i was a little spoiled a little bit you know pampered and you know he had a habit of doing that with people who he really cared about he would totally spoil you and pamper you um and make it very difficult for um anybody stepping up in that line however if you don't really know who you are Mm. and um really understand a person cannot be you can't force you can't force anything it has to be organic the relationship has to run its course i could say don't do this don't do that but the reality is it has to run its course and when you decide that it's no longer serving you you'll change it hmm. okay like you you will i mean it's always good to have a safe space for yourself and you realize that it can't always be another person. Um, but when you get tired of something and you want to change it, you'll change it. I've told many girlfriends, I have one who's been sitting in something for a while, a while. I mean, it's weird. It's like not to go into something last relationship I had before I met my husband, I thought was really cool, whatever. It was a little dull, but whatever. But anyway, the guy ended up going out with my best friend afterwards or during, I don't know, but that's neither here nor there. Of course, at one point I was like, what the hell? What the hell? And I was mad. I was like, even though I married, moved on, my thing was, how could this happen? But my friend, you know, all of this stuff, but you know what? When I thought about it, I said, wow, I'm the best person this could have happened to for them because Hmm. I know what it's like to be in a circle or triangles in triangle relationships. I know what it's like. And so the attachment is when you pull back. And if you detach from something, you detach, you'll get to see the picture so much more clearly. And then you actually decide how vested you really are. Um, people do what they want to do in this life. You can keep telling them and they can see the same thing happening to you, happening to themselves, and it won't change them. It's when they really just get tired of it and want the change. Wow. That's it. All right. There's no other way. But I've been lucky because I've met some of the most amazing people in my life. Prince was one of those. I mean, what girl couldn't have been luckier to have that really be your first, first love? That's mm. pretty, you know, he was actually, he got shit done. And um, that's, you know, and he did keep his word to as much as he could. And I could only hope to be able to be the same thing to somebody else, mm. you know. Right. And I'm so happy and thankful that it brought so many other beautiful people in my life. I have all these amazing people I met online right. that had these curious life to, lives to me. I'm curious about some of these fans. I'm like, what did they do? You know, and how did they get here? Because somewhere I'm connected to all of them. 
And I just like go, what were we all doing in the before world before we all got here? We all must have really had a good time. So I feel like I'm surrounded by good people. Right on. Okay. Well, there you go. That, thank you for that, Jill. Uh, I know that somebody listened to that, and that's that's gonna touch them. They gonna they be like, that was for me. So shout out to them. Shout out to you and your family. Thank uh, you, and to you guys. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, where where can people find you online? Um, you can go to my Facebook. Um, and uh, I guess it's Jill Jones on Facebook. There's two pages. There's what Jill Jones Universe, I think, something like that. Okay. And then, but then there's it just comes up as Jill Jones. There's one or the other, and um, that's the easiest. And then Instagram, I'm always Jonesy Love. Okay. So you know that's always a good one. All right. Well, Twitter, I think I'm Twitter? Jill D Jones. See, so I got a lot of names. <laughs> <laughs> on that social media that's that's what's up all right yeah big sexy and sack where can they find you sir <clears throat> well you know me <clears throat> excuse me you know me uh twitter big sexy and sack and facebook uh under my civilian identity of mark wiggins all right and i got a shout out to all our listeners out there all our supporters thank you guys so much for listening and supporting us we're going to keep delivering and keep holding up this Prince music and just everything about it because, hey, we are fans and we really appreciate all the blessings that has come from it. And like I always say at this time, work it like a job. We'll see you next time. Peace. All right. <laughs>